0: Filmmaker Commentary Episode 30. Welcome to Filmmaker Commentary, where we give you insights from our favorite filmmaking commentaries. These commentaries can be heard on your DVD and Blu-rays of your favorite movies. We'll show you how you can use these commentaries and apply them to improve your video production and filmmaking techniques. All this here on Filmmaker Commentary. I'm your host, Reginald Titus Jr. Welcome to another episode of Filmmaker Commentary. I'm Reginald Titus Jr. I am here with... Casey G. Smith. Welcome back, sir. Good to be back, sir. So today we are going to dive into the movie Bram Stoker's Dracula from 1992, directed by Francis Coppola. Oh, yeah. So if this is your first time tuning into this podcast, know that, of course, there's spoilers. Always. <laughs> and to um, we listen to Blu-rays and DVD- DVDs of your favorite movies, we take those commentaries from these Blu-rays and DVDs, and we get little gems, and we send those to you, so it can help you with your filmmaking and how you're producing your video projects. So we hope this helps you out. We listen to these commentaries, so you don't have to. Now, the budget for this film was forty million bucks box office, I'm looking at 82.5 million domestically and 133 million foreign. Is that correct? <laughs> yeah, I got I got world,
1: worldwide uh, 215, so 130 plus 82, yeah, that'd be
0: around 215 million worldwide. Not a bad deal at all. Not bad at all. Okay, so this is a definite win. And this movie, very stylistic, um, had quite a few awards what are some of the awards that uh just pulled in
1: so just from the academy awards uh in 1993 this won the oscar for best effects for sound effects and editing it also won for best
0: costume design and it also won an oscar for best makeup so quick synopsis count dracula a 15th century prince, is condemned to lift off the blood of the living for eternity. Young lawyer Jonathan Harker is sent to Dracula's castle to finalize a land deal. But when the count sees a photo of Harker's fiance, Mina, the splitting image of his dead wife, he imprisons him and sets off for London to track her down. Bram Stoker's Dracula. So what are some themes that you got uh, from this film? From
1: Bram Stoker's Dracula, a couple of themes that uh, that I saw in, in, in surmised from listening to the commentary uh, was a, a theme of of theatrical illusion throughout. Mm-hmm. Even how Francis Ford Coppola made this film, uh, there's a lot of illusions within and a lot of techniques that were old that were that were used. Uh, the use of shadows uh, in terms of uh, Dracula himself and, and just the laws of nature that uh, don't work correctly because you are in the realm of the supernatural. Uh, again, tying back into theatrical illusion, the, the visual effects and surrealism, uh, there's a theme of, of that, that, that a man loves the same woman all of his life, mm-hmm. uh, and even potentially into, into the next life. Um, Coppola kind of plays with that theme, especially in dealing with Dracula, and obviously uh, his feelings between his, his deceased wife and Mina. Fear of infection, um, like the vampire infects and these people when they they are, this really for me kind of shows the first time that vampire blood is like a disease, and when people mm. have it, like it's an affecting them and infecting them in very unique ways, and people worry about what happens when infection comes. Now during this time period, nineties, some might have alluded maybe to something like like AIDS, uh, you know, an infectious disease that you know affects affects blood and things of that nature. Uh, So that theme is there. Seduction, as with most Dracula and even vampire movies or films Mm -hmm. or shows, uh, sexuality and seduction are always tied in closely to vampires and to Dracula. Uh, Technology is a theme that Coppola mentions. Even though this is a a period piece, Mm -hmm. the technology they're using at the time is cutting edge. The typewriter, microscopes, uh, different ways of taking down dictation, so technology is 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 used throughout. The pressure of going against innovation uh, is a thing that Coppola mentions uh, that he experienced uh, throughout, and mm-hmm. you know, and maybe who knows, maybe even within the character himself in the movie, you know, Jack is kind of
0: he's he is forever kind of tied into the past. Couple uh had was like the typical, you know, good versus evil. And kind of like questioning God, you know, and that Mm -hmm. being that woven in from the very beginning to the end, you know, you know, when when the movie opens up, he feel like God's betrayed him. So like betrayal is like a theme of the film and then being released, you know, Mm -hmm. by your love at the end of the film. So he's asking God's questions. But then, you know, his his I guess that would be his reincarnated reincarnated wife (laughs) in a way. Uh, she frees him, allowing him to be with God. Supposedly, supposedly. I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Went, right? Yeah.
1: Where did he go exactly?
0: <laughs> 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 because that is his punishment for betraying God. But who knows? You know, um, obsession—just mm-hmm. being obsessed with this. You know, with that. Um, I guess anger. You know, his love and trying to find her, but not being able to really be complete with her. For them to survive, she would have to become what he is, in a way. Hmm so they can live forever. But that's, that's not really where you really want it. Yeah,
1: yeah, so yeah, maybe, <laughs> maybe even the theme of longing, I guess. You know, and is, is what you want, what you really want? This is,
0: um, I, like, I like this film, yeah.
1: Uh, I'll agree. Uh, I, so
0: how did you first watch <laughs> Bram Stoker's Dracula? When and then where? Um, the f- <laughs> this is my first time watching the movie all the way through. Um, I remember my parents had this film, VHS. This came out in 92. So I remember the VHS tape, and it was like a gray, the gray box and all that. And it was very interesting. But I wasn't really into, like, time period pieces. You know, if it wasn't happening now Mm. and people are putting on costumes, you forget about it. You know, It's (laughs) (laughs) I just wasn't into all that. But, you know, I did, like, watch a few scenes here and there. But, man, it was just very at the time it felt like real gory it felt like it was super sexual so i was just like this is porn you know i'm like turn this off <laughs> it's too much i don't want to get in trouble watching this let me turn this off <laughs> so i didn't watch the movie all the way through but um that's what i do remember anything that was like a time piece it was super bloody and was confusing to me when i watched it It was confusing i couldn't follow it mm. too much was going on i was like where the wolf come from where did let me, I'm done. I don't have time. <laughs> but yeah, so, yeah, as a child, uh, I remember kind of briefly watching it, but this is my first time watching all the way through. So I, I first watched it also, I was about, maybe 13. I was, I was in junior high
1: when I watched it. And, I, and I, up until now, I'll be honest, I didn't, I didn't remember too much of it. Well, now, going back and watching it, things kind of triggered, but I kind of saw it and kind of forgot about it. Uh, maybe a couple scenes were, were interesting, but I mean, nothing really, nothing has stuck with me all these years. And so this this kind of feels like watching it all the way through for the first time, or just revisiting it in over like twenty years. Yeah, yeah. So, but man, I I really enjoyed it. Like this, this going through it this time and, and taking it all in. I'm like, this is
0: it was refreshing to watch this, mm-hmm. you know. And the, before listening to the commentary or looking at any of the documentaries, seeing that when I when I watched them, like, man, this is a little weird looking, you know mm-hmm. it. it and especially the intro scene when he's going off to battle, and then in the background, I'm looking at the guys, but they're like kind of like jiggling while they're moving. I'm like these are these puppies, uh-huh. and I'm like why did they choose to do that? And the fact that they were doing this like practically, it felt it. You can feel it. Everything you know, in it, camera. You can feel it when you're when you're watching it. No weird special CGI computer stuff because at that time. I don't know the time the Jurassic Park came out, but people were re- you, you know you had um what's this what was the favorite movie that was out in ninety in the early nineties not Total Recall but the other one by Schwarzenegger uh, the Terminator so Terminator was doing all too, yeah. they were doing all these computer things so that was a thing mm-hmm. you got to have these computer graphics everybody it was like a fad that everybody was was gobbling up but the fact that he went in this du- direction actually makes it feel more grounded and it holds up a lot more yeah I think it definitely does uh, hold up pretty. Pretty well, and
1: when you just and once you get into the behind the scenes and see what they did and how they did it's pretty pretty commendable. And it really is a almost like a like kind of that last piece before everything just changes. You know, one last it's like one last hurrah for mm-hmm. this era or this kind of filmmaking before you really would embrace digital and and, and, and not so practical you know, and not so much in camera stuff. Not that people still don't do in camera, but it it would definitely become the Minority, But like mm-hmm. this was that kind of last standard of that time.
0: What are like some of your favorite scenes or scenes that whenever you think of this film, you automatically pull up? Um, now, I'll
1: tell you one thing. One scene that I'm not going to call it a favorite, mm-hmm. but that when I saw it, it, it actually it called me back to another, another film. So it actually the scene with the wolf. No. With the the wolf in in the, in the garden with her when he's you know when they're going at it mm-hmm. like seeing that I'm like wait a minute there's a a, a, a similar scene also in uh, spoiler alert um, <laughs> Benicio del Toro's <laughs> the Wolf Man
0: uh, yeah. yeah
1: yeah and supposed I hate to say it but that's, that's a spoiler. but anyway it, it remind me of it reminded me of that I'm like that very very similar I even about that one. even in where it's set where it's set and where that happens. Like whoa, but anyway, um, that that stands out to me, man. The the the, the scene of him like rising up ah, out of the coffin because that's scene. A, yeah, that's a, that's a throwback right there. The way they use the first-person view, the um, pixel—they call it a pixel pixelation mm-hmm. shot. The way they use that, I've seen that kind of shot done in other films like like Evil Dead, that yeah. kind of tracking shot. Mm-hmm. But I really—I don't know—I like the way it looks in this for some reason. It it. I don't know. There's something about it where it just it it feels like it really. I don't know. It seems like it really works when the the main protagonist uh, Harkins, I believe, when he meets Dracula and they're going around the castle and just the the the, that shadow kind of doing its (laughs) own thing. It's it's so. I mean, it's not really even subtle, but it's just uh, the fact that Harkins kind of doesn't even uh, doesn't realize what's what's going on. Uh, hard, it's it's fascinating to me, but I, I just enjoyed that that introduction. He's yeah. just trying so hard to to win the business of yeah. Dracula. Whoa, <laughs> and, and it's just like why don't you realize what's what's going down here, man? I'm sure there are others. I I, I just I know, I really enjoyed
0: just revisiting this this film. How about you? I like the reaction shots. Or oh, um, there's a shot where. Keanu Reeves is like getting his hair uh, he's shaving or whatever and then you know the Dracula comes in and says, maybe he should grow a beard or whatever but he grabs the, the the shaving knife from him and then he turns around towards the camera and licks the blood off of the blade and he's yeah. like oh. yeah <laughs> it's euphoric I'm like what he played that so well it's hilarious just the way he pulled it off and, and he's like look, basically right at us you know we see him right in our face licking this thing like man he's really drawn to that and then there's another scene where um van helsing there uh lucy has turned into a vampire and she has a kid with her and she's trying to you know kill the, you know get the blood from the kid or whatever and van helsing pulls out a cross and it gets on fire and the way that she reacts to it she's like <gasps> she like go back backwards into a coffin and all that stuff. which they shot in reverse yes which was i was like oh that makes sense yeah but man it's convincing I'm like wow that's that's pretty awesome yeah, so those two scenes how those vampires were re- reacting to the blood or to the, to somebody putting the cross in their face.
1: Just in general, Gary Oldman. Yeah. He is he's he is, he is he's one of my favorite actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, after this like yeah, like he's he's in my <laughs> he's in my top 10. Right. No doubt. Like he's just, he just they can just do whatever. And in this he has so many different costume changes, so many different looks. Yeah all the reason I can see why they why they won that Academy Award uh, for best makeup because man he goes through so many different looks and whether he's you know in, in his early years as the count to to when he's the suitor on the street in, in modern mm-hmm. day London to
0: the old Dracula to he's wearing the armor the armor the Draco armor I felt like I was watching a play that's what it felt mm. like because it felt like everybody was over the top. I'm like, why are they? Why are they choosing to go in this direction? Uh, but it was it was it was enjoyable. But then understanding, you know, uh, Francis Coppola's background and knowing he comes from the stage and that he's really into the arts mm-hmm. and making a decision and sticking with the tone. Yes, absolutely did throughout. Stuck stuck with that.
1: And they say Oldman's kind of known for kind of being uh, um, more more of an over over the top. Who is Gary Oldman? Kind of known for being um, a, him over an over over the top kind of uh, actor in his
0: performances and it's very theatrical, and
1: he, yeah,
0: he brings it. We're gonna cut to Sisko and Eberman and talk about what they thought of the movie at the time. When we come back, we're gonna talk about movies that we watched over the past weekend, and then we're gonna go dive right into the commentary right after this
2: break. Francis Coppola's version of Dracula does not have a strong narrative thread to draw us from the beginning to the end of the film. It feels actually more like an opera with a lot of very emotional climaxes and not much logic in between and that is both a strength and a weakness. I liked the way this movie looked and felt, and I liked the energy the actors put into their performances. There were times when they seemed to be playing for the audiences in every theater in the multiplex. I liked the production design, the costumes, the lavish and seductive photography. I liked all of that. What never really moved me very much were the characters. I didn't believe their emotions. They seemed to be playing for effect rather than for motivation. But still, it's a good-looking movie. I recommend it for what I liked about it, yeah. but not for the rest. Yeah, and, I, and I'm voting thumbs down, Roger. It is a great-looking picture, but boy, that's all I saw. Um, the, I was interested early on in the Gary Oldman Dracula, the old Dracula. I thought that was an interesting creation. He looks like some kind of weird grandmother with yeah. a beehive hairdo, and I thought that's fresh rather than the cloaked prints that we're usually getting in the films. But beyond that opening sequence, I don't think that the Winona Ryder character was very charismatic at all. Uh, uh, Keanu Reeves as the lawyer I thought was kind of in another century, well he is in another century, but I thought it was maybe the 20th century. and uh, I thought it was very disorganized. And um, yes, uh, Coppola is a master of the visual, but uh, I thought it was a pretty empty movie. Well, picture. the important thing with a movie of this length and complexity is to have a storyline that is clear enough. Driven through. So that people know at every moment exactly who yeah. is who and why yeah. and whether we care about them and what's going to happen yeah. next. And here you have, as I said before, set pieces in which everything spins around in beautiful pictures but there's no real emotion. So then why do you give it thumbs up? I love the way it looked. Well, I I like the way it looked. There has to be, uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down is such an arbitrary thing anyway. Not arbitrary. This movie does things with the visuals of vampirism and the Dracula Legend you have not seen done before. I I mean, the sets, the costumes, the atmosphere, the music, the special effects. I know you were bored during it and I was bored too. I really was. Well, Coming you, up I'm next. I'm glad you're a mind reader. Maybe okay. you could get a job in the next picture doing your act or something. Thank you.
0: All right. Uh, what movies did you
1: watch this
0: past week?
1: So I had the pleasure of of watching Three Billboards Outside of Ebon, Missouri, which was uh, quite Excuse me, Ebbing, Missouri, not Ebbing. <laughs> Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri, which came out in 2017, directed by Martin McDonough, uh, starring, of course, from uh, Fargo fame, Francis McDormand, who actually won an Academy Award for the role that she played uh, in the film. Also, Best Supporting Actor went to Sam Rockwell, which both of these two actors, they... <laughs> They're in these Oscars. Their mm-hmm. their performances are amazing. When I saw them get the Oscars, I was like, yeah, okay. But I hadn't seen the film. Now that I've seen it, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you 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 win. <laughs> but just very enjoyable, very well written script. Very, oh, oh man, fantastic script. The the dialogue throughout it's 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 sharp. It's it's witty, but it's all uh, all heartfelt. Woody Harrelson also is is in the film. He's, he's great. I mean, he's always solid, but mm-hmm. he's, he's really, really good. I didn't know much about the film beyond what I'd seen in the trailer. Much you've seen in the trailer is, is, is not much of anything. So the, it, it's, it, it goes so much deeper. It's more layered and more complex than what you see, and it's, it's played out beautifully. I recommend it. If you haven't seen three billboards outside of Ebbing, Missouri, I, I recommend checking it out. So you if you're like a film it. fan, solid film.
0: I didn't really just sit down and watch a film really this weekend. Kind of, this week, it was kind of busy, but outside of, you know, of course, it's Dracula film, I watched an episode of Suits. We still watch Suits. It's, a. Uh, are you familiar with the USA. TV show? Yeah, USA. Mm-hmm. It's one of the few shows that you can still watch without being bombarded with a lot of graphic nudity sex. They drop a few, you know, words here and there, you know, but it's one of the few um, shows that you get a theme there's like a clear-cut theme for every single episode and you can usually pick it up because the the different characters are within that theme Uh, whether you're dealing with lost or um whether to go forward with a loved one like you can catch on to what the theme is for the show and there's different themes every single show um so that's that's good to see but you know you do not just bombard it with a bunch of crap that you just you know i mean like (laughs) it's one of the few things you can do you can watch and not be bombarded with a bunch of stuff. And I can appreciate that sometimes. Okay. Um another show kinda like that is um I watched an episode of the, the Seinfeld show, which the drinking comedians in cars getting coffee. Which should be the most boring show ever, but it is not. So I watched the episode with um what's uh Martin. Steve Martin? Is it Steve Martin with the all white hair, the no, comedian? Steve Martin, Steve yeah. Steve Martin. That so that was a good episode, so I watched that episode, and that was pretty much it for my watching movies this weekend. I skimmed through Avengers Age of Ultron, but that was just fun, just to let my son kind of watch some of the action sequences. There was no really no reason for me watching. I was like, oh, let me play this real quick.
1: Mm, nice. I also I started watching uh, Matt Groing's new Netflix animated series, Disenchantment, ah. and I'm about five, five to six episodes in on that. Ah, and how long are the episodes? Uh, I wanna say they're like thirty,
0: thirty to say they are like 30 to 40 minutes. Does Netflix pull a thing where it's like <laughs> as soon as the episode's done, they like try to throw you right into the next episode. Oh, you know
1: it. That's that's the name <laughs> of the game, my friend. That is the name of the game. But it has <laughs> been it's been really enjoyable. Okay. And yeah, episodes are about thirty
0: Yeah, they're about thirty minutes. How many ep- how many episodes is-
1: This first season is only ten. Ten oh, episodes. Okay. Not too bad. So yeah, so I'm half halfway through. But again, it's it's like Simpsons but definitely like Futurama mm-hmm. meets Game of Thrones. Yeah. Kind, kind of kind of vibe going on. And there, there are I'm even some checking pokes. that out. Because
0: I, I thought about it when I saw it. It was like on Reddit. And I was looking at some things on Reddit. And that was popping up. I'm like, what if this is any good? The yeah. trailer makes me kind of want to. But do I want to devote the time? I don't know. And see, that's what I thought also. And then yeah. once I watched the first episode. And I was like, okay. I had a couple
1: of moments that, 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 that maybe laugh out loud. Like legit laugh out loud. And I'm like, okay. And I kind of just let it keep okay. rolling. And it's short enough. Again, only 10 episodes, 30 minutes apiece. You know, from a binging standpoint, that's that's really light. That's okay. like that's like somebody okay. being very, very nice to us. Okay. 30
0: minutes 10 episodes. Yeah, go ahead. We're going to dive right back into the show. Okay. This movie has uh, the doc- if you get the Blu-ray, it has like four documentaries on it. Uh, one of the documentaries is the, it's called The Blood is Life, and it's basically going through the making of Dr- uh, Dracula. It gives, like, history and kind of what Dracula represents. And uh, Francis Coppola, he comes off like he's—this is, like, his thing, you know. He's done all the research. He's included, like, his background from music, from the arts, everything that he can bring. He brought his A-game to this. And sometimes you can tell when— when somebody's slacking on their job whether that be an actress whether being a producer or a director but out of anybody that's slacking the director cannot slack because it's going to just trickle down from there yeah definitely your 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 team teams plural will
1: will feel that energy mm-hmm. will will see that lack of discipline yep that lack of focus and if and if and if you're not bringing it why why should, why should they yeah. where where is their hope going to be that this project is going to turn out great if their leader isn't up up to up to par but Mm -hmm. you're right francis ford coppola he was the right guy for the job he had he was familiar with the book and had read it multiple times used to read it to his his his, he would volunteer as a counselor at a camp he'd read it to to the kids there like who's
0: reading that just think about that just that by (laughs) itself who first off who is actually reading this book then who is reading this book to their children that's something else it it makes me interested to, to to
1: to listen to it on audio, mm-hmm. just to hear it for myself, especially after watching the film, to see what differences there there are, and, and again, especially with that love story piece. But yeah, Francis Ford Coppola, he was he was the guy, and he was uniquely qualified because of that. I think because of that connection to the original
0: piece, mm-hmm. and being well read. This movie serves, you know, our audience that's listening to us do this, but also doing research for one of our own films and seeing. Um, the vampire being out during the day, you know, that's one of those things. Like, are you going to make that decision? Who, what's going to determine that? And Francis Coppola, of course, did the research, and yes, the vampire does; he can be out during the day.
1: Right. Powers are, are maybe or maybe weakened, mm-hmm. and yeah, always just making those decisions about what tropes. Because even if you watch the the show HBO's True Blood, mm-hmm. there are different tropes that mm-hmm. that they'll. Throw out like vampire wise, oh, this, 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 yes, is an effect that. No, that doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> no. But even you see, like, you know, like, like the, like with the cross, like, depending on, I guess, maybe the vampire's right. level of power, um, with the younger uh, Lucy, you know, when, when the cross is presented to her, it seems to have effect. But with Dracula, he, he sees it and he ah, sets it on fire. You know, like, oh, well. Wow. And the fact that he was, you know, once previously a spiritual man, mm-hmm. which I, I also, I, I really dig the I dig the fact that that we that this this really as much as Dracula doesn't have a soul this, this movie gives him a soul yes it, it humanizes him it's not so just a much. monster
0: that's going around killing people that's even though right. that's what he's doing oh, yes but he actually has a goal yeah he's a tragic figure also to a degree because when you look at the beginning of how
1: he he was devout you know and the fact that even the the the, the name the title of Dracula you know son of the dragon. Mm-hmm. From the order of the dragons of those who were there to defend these Romanian churches. I'm like, whoa, this guy was like a crusader, you yeah. know, I mean, almost, and, and was impaling his victims. Vlad you know, all and the, the fact that he would come back, and mm-hmm. I, I just love the way it's played at the beginning where he's seeing his, 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 his wife dead in this Romeo and Juliet, you know,
0: kind of moment. There's some correlation between this movie and the first fly that we saw. Ooh, I see you. Call back Yeah. Mm. you know you got them in love and then what happens at the end she has got to take them out yeah take it to the head <laughs> yeah I mean you yeah,
1: know you' you're 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 right yeah he 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 tries and, and 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 it's also the the man that has become the monster mm-hmm. who is trying to turn his loved one into something almost monstrous just so they can be
0: together there you go. Oh yeah! Wow! Wow! That's what happens when you research people. <laughs> mm. <laughs> but yeah, research is is a, is a very powerful thing. Another one of the documentaries is called "The Costumes Are the Sets," and it, and it goes into costume design by Iko Ishioka, and who won a an award, right? She won an Oscar for her costume design, and I and I truly recommend, you know going through these documentaries because you find out like how heavily everybody's involved in their thing and she was more of like an art director production designer not necessarily known for like being a costume designer but from Francis Coppola from his standpoint it's like well you designed all that you can design this this is the set you know
1: yes that that was a big deal for him I know you're going to talk about you know mm-hmm. uh, difficult decisions that have to be made but he wanted the costumes truly to be the thing that stood out to to the viewers and they're quite, quite wonderful uh, and and colorful and memorable for sure. Oh yeah.
0: There's another documentary called In Camera and it's talking about the the visual effects of Dracula, how the director's kind of at war with trying to tell, what ask the people what he wants, the the people that are producing these special effects, and they're trying to lean him to doing the effects how they see it should be done instead of just following his direction on it. So he had to kind of get rid of these people. And this uh, documentary talks, kind of shows how his son, his son was raised in this style and knows exactly what his dad wants. So he's working on, you know, being the second unit director, which is shooting all the stuff that's not the main stuff. then also coming up with the practical effects. And especially being a younger person, you know, a young person has that drive, that energy, that ambition, Mm -hmm. and to prove other people wrong. (laughs) Totally. On a major studio film,
1: when your dad directed The Godfather you know and Roman I mean kudos to Roman Coppola Yeah, because he he went in and pre-visualized everything and everything in the film for, I mean, for the most part is shot in camera and whether it's projecting things on the screen whether it's using miniatures and they harkened back to so many older classic techniques brought them back and, and used them to, to pretty good effect like you said mm-hmm. there are a lot of things that even though we know the film is older as a production and of course we know it's set uh, you know in an older time period as a period piece there are some things now
0: that would hold up better than some of the digital or, or, or other right. kind of visual effects from this time period in the documentary his son is in front of a green screen he said it's funny we're shooting in front of this because we didn't use any of these special effects that was a nice touch yeah there's another documentary called method and madness and it's called you know and dracula and how they were storyboarding and peter ramsey who's uh one of the artists. It's also an African American man. Got to, always got to represent. Yep. Uh, <laughs> and just kind of how they're, uh, how the director is pushing them to be creative. And just you the images that you're creating, no matter how creative they are, we're, f- we're figuring out how to put this into the actual film, no matter how crazy these ideas are. And They kind of show you, the how like the castle is being manipulated, and they're they're drawing these things, and how they're putting into matte paintings and making it happen. Which there were quite a few of in this in this film, mm-hmm. especially when have like you know when the
1: when the the carriages are are riding up to that's right. Dracula's castle. You know, it's a it's a painting. Uh, a lot of the, the different countrysides and landscapes and, and, and seas, and that's uh, and with that, that's worth mentioning that the majority of this film was all done on sound stages. Yeah, which is that's impressive I would have I wouldn't if he hadn't said that I wouldn't have believed that I would have thought oh they were on location somewhere Mm -hmm. and they traveled across the world but no they did the most of this on a sound stage
0: very impressive also to our listeners out there if you hear some sounds in the background it's raining so don't (laughs) let it throw you off it's just the the, just in case if it's picking up I don't know if it is or not but if it isn't if it is that's what's going on if it is welcome to the quiet storm there you go filmmaker commentary edition (laughs) ha So let's dive right into the commentary. So the commentary was, uh, he recorded in 2006. You know, he does his introduction. You know, he's got etiquette. Thank you, Mr. Coppola. (laughs) Appreciate that. And at the time, he was 67 years old. Um, The overall commentary, this is A1. Yeah. Well, high praise from Mr. (laughs) Reginald Titus. A1. A1. Because it's a mixture of, you know, history. He's like fully engaged in the commentary i um, mean even though like god only knows if he would have recorded you know the commentary you know earlier like how much he would have because so also too he's trying to recall some things and he might have forgotten how certain effects were created um him you know him being older and him not necessarily being over the practical effects and that's why it's important for these documentaries to be on here because it's, it's literally showing you how they did these things And Roman was the one responsible for all that, while he was worried. While you know, Francis got his own set of problems. Very true, and the the tandem of the team really makes it possible. And he's,
1: I've never listened to any other commentaries with Francis Ford Coppola before. And I I didn't, I didn't know much about him. Again, all I knew was him by name and having directed The Godfather. Really, those are the main things. And I didn't know what to expect from him would he have a lot of hubris yeah but he comes across as he comes across as passionate. he comes across as humble though at the same time but that you know when he has a vision he's he's gonna go for it and he's gonna he wants to give he wants to give his best and truly make unique quality projects he seems to be like really is dedicated to to quality of, of of craft in whatever he's working on and mm-hmm. he's gonna do it and do it all the way and you need to say something new and, and worthwhile mm-hmm.
0: definitely stands out from the littered graveyard of dracula films this stands out yeah yeah it does I'm, I'm just looking at the the key art and at the very top of it it says love never dies ah. like, what a great tagline and i always wonder too on this um on this blu-ray there's an introduction by francis Coppola, and, and he speaks about why it's called bram stoker's dracula instead of just dracula Mm-hmm. Did you want to talk about that? Obviously, this is based
1: off the book, Dracula, by the author, Bram Stoker. Right. Short for Abraham Stoker. Now, uh, it, uh, inter- an interesting thing with even the development of this, of, of Bram Stoker's book about Dracula, it's a combination of the, the historic character of, of Vlad. Vlad of... Jab- Vlad Shepish? Shepish. Shepish? Yeah. Um of you know of, of, of Romanian uh, history, but also the themes and the workings and the mythology of the vampire. I think there's a, vo- a book out called Vamp um, that is highly influenced and I don't know if you um, heard them. When they were talking about this Reginald, when they talk about how you know, when you go all the way back to like Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Like when that book was was written, there's a group of four people: Lord Byron, Mary Shelley. I think Lord Byron maybe Mary Shelley's husband. I have to double check that. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was another gentleman who was there also when she wrote that 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 book or that, that that horror story about this this man-made monster who kind of walked with a limp. Lord Byron had a limp. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you have this kind of large nocturnal character that could kind of get people affixed upon them, um, Doctor Polidori, he wrote the the vampire. Um, book Var- Varney the Vampire might might be the name of it, which influenced Bram Stoker's book. But it's it's interesting that these two classic tales all came from literally a group of four people spending the night at this mm. this castle. Um, but yeah, using that title uh it made it stand out from the the litany of other directors that are out there. Yeah. But Coppola does says this. He says that uh, Nosferatu, mm-hmm. the silent film Nosferatu, he still hails as the the best Dracula film. Wow. that's out there. I have not seen that one.
0: Mm.
1: <laughs> I've, ooh, I've seen bits. I've seen bits yeah, and pieces. Yeah, it's
0: like part of history. It's one of those movies. That, those clips always come up. Well, I remember
1: when as a kid when I would see
0: his his the imagery of him. This I mean, bald headed like
1: sharp fanged guy. That it would it, it it was disturbing to me. I'm like, ooh. I, yeah. I actually, as a kid, I was like, whoa. More shocked than by Bella Lugosi's Dracula, mm-hmm. Nosferatu actually
0: startled me. Yes, so firing is necessary, even if, you know, especially if you're not getting the vision, and we talked about that uh, previously just on the documentaries, but he had to let some people go, you know, to get what he wanted, and he, you know, it shows on some of the behind the scenes, he's like, I'm not getting what I want, he's expressing this, I'm not getting what I want, I want creativity, <laughs> It seems like it was always like a battle. It seems like he's battling the studio, whether that be for money or, you know, to kind of understand what his vision is. Which, you know, from the studio side, it could be scary too, because you come back and you see these people in this outlandish stuff, you're like, bro, what are you doing? You got 40 million bucks. Like, what are you doing with our money? <laughs> yeah. And that's one of those
1: the fascinating um, trust between the creative and the producers and, and the studio. Like, okay, how are you handling this? And how do you. Measure how well a film is going. I mean, it's a it's a process, right? And every film is a little bit different. Which I think is why sometimes studios want to have sometimes not as much venturing out because it's okay if you follow this formula, then we may feel like we're minimizing our risk. But sometimes you have to trust the vision of the director, especially if they have proven success. And you know, let them let them do what they do. I mean, it's, it's always going to be a risk. I mean, yeah. even even when we at follow formulas. Fail sometimes.
0: He mentioned that um, since there's so many movies being made on Dracula, that you want to approach it in a new way, and he's like, you have to like make a decision. Do you want to approach it in a more real, like this could happen in the real world type of situation, or do you want to approach it in a surreal fashion? And of course, he went with surrealism. Oh yeah, which well, I'm so glad.
1: I'm 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 glad that he went that way. In that it's just that once Vlad made that decision to. To, I mean I mean literally like he, he renounces God like, yeah. right there in front of the priest and I'm like oh, what? <laughs> what are you doing And I mean I mean stabs the cross and the blood starts coming out yeah, that was gross and then he, he, and he drinks from the blood and he says he'll raise his own dead I'm like, dude, you're really angry right now are you really sure about what you're doing which he wasn't <laughs> Come on the guy wasn't but man what he became. How he just persisted throughout. I mean, he, he literally cursed himself. Um, but again, this was a different take. Like like we said before, the visually it was a different take. Even ability, Well, I've seen I've seen Dracula take all kinds of forms. I've never seen him become the wolf. I I hadn't seen that right. pre, in previous Dracula films, which also makes it seems like he is the wolf man almost. I'm like, yeah. are they are they saying the tales of that are coming from Dracula as well? Um, and the, yeah, just so many different things and and again the day walking that he that he does and even the even just the 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 powers that he has from a telekinetic standpoint that even while he's on the ship Mm -hmm. and he's making his way towards mina even though she's at lucy's party and there's other suitors there you see that you see that shadow yeah right (laughs) kind of drawing like drawing close but this dude's still on the ship i'm like man this the the powers that this guy has are just
0: next level and, and talking about that shot, there's, you know, you see the ship at sea and it's moving back and forth. Then you cut to uh, Lucy and Wynona Mina, and they're walking around and it's moving. This, mm-hmm. You know, the screen is moving left and right and shaking and, and using the juxtaposition is what he calls it to connect those two scenes as this have an influence on the other scene. He said, hey, you have these tools in your arsenal. You use them.
1: Yeah. Man, his whole, even his, his coming to London is affecting the weather and the wind and the rain and again that that sensuality that that he brings is already affecting them when they're running through the garden in the rain and I'm like man this dude is like it just like this next this next level man like I, but I mean how do you how do you defeat that and I really think the only way you they could have won is because in his heart he didn't really want to win because if he really wanted to win he could have turned her without Hesitation, I think to, to a certain degree. But he still had a heart, I guess, at the end.
0: It's layered complex. I love it. I love it. You got to establish your world. So establishing the world, you know, he won a vision of when you cross the threshold, which is also known in, uh, in Dracula world, that um, you have to give permission, right, to come in.
1: Yes, or or inviting a vampire into a vampire cannot come into your home unless you invite them. Uh, no, I guess in their world could you cross cross over unless you accept an invitation
0: on their part. Gotta love it, and so and the way that he illustrate this was very important is when Keanu Reeves, when his character is like walking across, he kind of zooms in on this part. Mm-hmm. You're like, oh, this is important. And then what he does, he ties that he ties that back in
1: with the mafia. Yeah, and he says that when he worked on on the Godfather. Um, well, one of the gentlemen there, I, have, I can't recall the name, but that guy told him that that the mafia kind of operates the same way, that the mafia won't come into your life uh, unless you have invited them. Maybe you've accepted some kind of gift or something like that, but if, but if you haven't done that, then they're not going to mess with you. They're not going to come into your life unless you, you invite them in or you accept something from them. Uh, and that's why he said he's never had any interaction, personal interaction with, with the mafia or gangsters because he, when he, he learned that early on in the making of the film, knowing that he knew how to, to tread and, and work his way around that. But I found yeah. that correlation interesting. That's crazy.
0: So, yeah, so in this world, as soon as he crosses that threshold, you know, you see the water that's going upside down. You see all these weird things that are happening. We're being introduced to Dracula, and like you were saying, his shadow is just doing doing its own thing. While he's talking to Keanu Reeves, like the shadow is like strangling, trying to strangle the guy. <laughs> so all this stuff is going on, and they accomplished that by they were shooting a, a separate actor. Yes. Doing all of the shadow stuff. But just, I mean, just working your lighting
1: to accommodate that. Or right, we've got to get rid of your shadow, shadow. Yeah. And then project another ones on there. And again, not digital. In camera. All right? We're live. We're rolling. Okay, let's get you to move and, and trace, but not be in
0: the scene, your physical form. Ah, it's just, wow. It's next level, man. Coppola, he talks about, um, before we go into the sex scenes, but there's also another effect where I was talking about Keanu Reeves, how he was, you know, shaving. And you, from our perspective, you see the back of his head in the foreground of the shot. In the background of the shot, you see the mirror, and you see that it's Keanu Reeves. Uh, Francis Coppola, he was like, "I don't know, I don't remember how I shot this shot." But then Roman Coppola was saying, "Oh, we did a, we set this shot up by doing a double set. So the person that you see in front of us, the back of the head of Keanu Reeves, isn't really Keanu Reeves; it's another actor. Mm-hmm. And then Keanu Reeves on the other side, looking at us, and we think it's a mirror, but it really isn't." And then so shots with um, the hand coming in and all that, uh, you're able to pull the stuff off. But you basically, the other actor has to mimic what you're doing. Oh, yeah. And that's, those are uh, techniques that have been used a
1: long time. Like back yeah. in the 20s, the old Dr. Jekyll and, and, and Mr. Hyde with Frederick March, scenes where he's in front of a mirror, they use that same technique, have another actor there, and yeah. So that's classic technique once again. Yeah, they were able to pull that one off and
0: can't tell at any rate uh, he talks about sex scenes are always weird you know we we talked about this over and over how people approach the sex scenes and have the weird the only person was Darren Aronofsky who was like who actually enjoys shooting movies I'm a pornographer or whatever is what he said it's few and far between that you, you would find these these masters of, of getting
1: emotions and things out of people and you you know, you, you, you might have a misconception that for the actors and all that that they're oh, they're just itching to be to free, be free and <laughs> act and yes, let me just go forward. But no, it's it's awkward for yeah, you know, just about everybody. Right. And and but it's one of those things where you power through and and I like when directors are, are, are very thoughtful about when, how and why they would use sex. With characters like Dracula, again, there's that seduction aspect, and the fact that these women rise up out of this this bed, the brides of Dracula, and they're—I mean—they are seducing Keanu in, in in every kind of of way, and but they're setting him up for the kill. Yeah. You know, some people use, you know, worms as bait for fish, um, but you know these women are using their bodies as bait for for Keanu, and they're ready to. Drain him and devour him, but instead, well. Dracula brings in a baby.
0: <laughs> Yikes! It's funny how he was like, "You tell him, like, telling the women to de-robe." Like, Roman, you tell him. <laughs> He's like, "No, you tell him. I ain't gonna tell him." You like, who's gonna be the guy that tells the other woman to be naked? Like, hey, we need you to de-robe real quick.
1: Yeah, and he says, even though, even though, like, you you, you let them know in advance what what is, what this role is going to entail that there's going to be nudity, even then, people can still feel.
0: You know a little un- just uncomfortable and nervous and what's her name um the one that came up like the first lady that came Monica Monica from yeah. irreversible yeah. so like she's free like a lot of movies she's in she's like hey you know I'm doing my thing so yeah. it's she's beautiful she's a, she's a beautiful woman you were talking about the the pixelation shot which is showing the perspective of Dracula as a spirit kind of walk, kind of going everywhere but in order to achieve this shot you're basically shooting at one frame per second when you're normally shooting films you know you're shooting 24 frames per second or 23.976 if it's digital and when you're shooting at one frame per second it's like you get a picture and then you know it <laughs> you're moving and then it shoots another one moves and shoots another one so it's like you're, you're missing information in between the movement And so it gives you that little jittery shutter feel, jittery shutter feel. Also, another uh, he talks about like the tradition of like immortalizing other filmmakers and other filmmakers feel like they're if you're stealing from them, that it's not stealing. It's like you're immortalizing them. So if you use a shot that like that's an iconic shot, um, that's a way that that filmmaker can live on. And one of those examples was a Stanley Kubrick shot, you know, when. He comes and bites. I think he kills Lucy, right? He kills her, and then the blood just floods the room. <laughs> like, yeah, that's so gross. But, you know, it's it's over the top, you know. But, you know, what, what better person to copy than Stanley Kubrick?
1: Hey, there you go. And there's definite homages. But, yeah, that one definitely was one. Also, when Lucy dies and she's in the coffin, she's in the glass coffin. Oh. That is an homage to Snow White. Yeah. Because when she dies, she's in cheese in a, very much so in a glass coffin. That's just a, when he watched that movie as a kid, it, it stuck with him, and so he brought that imagery wow. back,
0: wow. and that uh, and that worked for him. And he talks about like how he was working with the studio, and he's like, "Hey, I'm ahead of schedule. I'm ahead of schedule. So I basically saved money. So the money that I saved, can I use this to to work on these other effects? Mm-hmm. Initially, they say yes, and then you know, some time went to by. Yeah. some executive comes and basically gives him reasons why they can't go ahead
1: <laughs> yeah, no, yeah he said their accounting systems were somehow off there was a glitch in the accounting system I bet you could tell this really disturbed uh, Coppola he he it and, and from there he kind of has you know not the greatest things to say about the about the studio system he, he seems to be very like uh, he'll work with him if he has to but he doesn't really enjoy working right. in and within the studio system
0: it seems like he's more like real business-minded, so he knows where the money's at. You know, as a business person, we'll talk about it a little bit later. Just you know, one of his other films um, towards the end that bothered him the studio. And basically, so they said that he won't be able to you know use the extra money that they said they he would be able to use, and so he had to come up with different ways to shoot. You know, mm-hmm. to reshoot that was it. The intro scene that they had to reshoot, and they kind of used more practical uh, puppets and things like that.
1: Right, and I think it was some things towards in the end of the third act. Uh, as well, when they're when he's in the cave, when 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 Mina and Van Helsing are in the cave, and, mm-hmm. and the brides of Dracula sh- show up, and they're starting to seduce, uh, and they end up like killing the horses or whatever. Like there was oh. there was money going to be putting into into those scenes Got as it. well, but yeah, they had to make adjustments.
0: Also, going back to the the sex scene, there's uh, they did some shots in reverse. You know, when Dracula comes in, the girls are like kind of shook, like ah. And then they out doing the jitter shutter effect or whatever. They're being pulled in reverse. Mm-hmm. But you see, like one that one of the girls is like on top of another girl, and they're like all like looking like an insect or whatever. Right. But in some of the rehearsals in the documentaries, you show it shows how like these ballerinas are like on top of each other, and they're like rehearsing. Yeah. How to do this? Like a lot of pre production went into this. That's that kind of again, that
1: all takes vision. You have to know where you're going before you have people start preparing for things and Coppola really had I mean the actors, whether they were you know in minor roles or in major roles, he really worked in aspects of, of rehearsal which I'm I guess we'll talk about in a
0: little bit. Yeah. Um he, he mentions how like specifically like what, what not known nona writer and how she can kind of just be put on she's basically can be an automatic where she's you know grew up as a child star right she grew up doing this and she has all the talent that you can just be on automatic you don't you know you just hit your marks you do your thing hit your lines and it's passable you know compared to like if it was a new actress a new actor, whatever they may not be able to do that they have to fully prepare fully commit and everything like that but you know her being like so talented and having all that experience you can just kind of coast and get by Mm mm-hmm and he said, you know, it's a good thing and it's a bad thing. The bad thing is, like, you may not be able to reach as deep um, to get whatever vision it is. What, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, it was fascinating to hear, him, to hear him say that because when I see her performances, it feels like she's, you know, I've you know, seen her get emotional and enjoying. And, and but, yeah, he said that because it's almost like you can almost know too much for your own good seeing so many things at an early age. Maybe, maybe it's tougher for you to feel challenged. I don't, I don't know what the case may be, but she but she is the one that wanted to do this project. She actually brought it to mm-hmm. Francis Ford Coppola., uh, yeah, I, thought, I, I enjoyed a performance, so uh, I think maybe 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 doing the rehearsals like he does, maybe that was uh, something that kind of helped. Yeah, it's fascinating. I I think, I think she could go as far as she wants to go from a serious talent perspective. And she's kind of, you know, we're seeing, I think, a bit of a comeback with what she's been doing on Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, yeah. Her performances, her performances there have been really awesome. So, yeah, we'll see what what Wanona what uh, has next. Maybe there'll be a, a writer's son or something. I don't know.
0: Right. So maybe it's just a thing that, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, experienced um, actors or people that have been doing this for a while, how to kind of get them to want it again. You know, let's go for that battle one more time, you know. Oh, yeah. Let's put a little bit more into it. Uh, he mentions, like, you know, pick, how picking a uh, composer is very important. And, of course, he grew up, his dad is a composer. Mm-hmm. So, of course, he's going to have more, he's going to have more affinity towards that. His dad is a musician, yes. a composer? Yes, his dad is a composer, so you could see why he, he would... Uh, feel like a love for that a lot more and saying this is very important. This is very. So he like went on a big search to find his composer. And the thing that he realized that, you know, you know, actual composers that do this for a living specifically, you know, he, he was looking for a Polish composer for them to do things a certain way. It takes them a very long time to create some of the some of these pieces. Mm-hmm. Whereas in the studio system, like, hey, we need some music now. <laughs> like, let's put something together real quick. You know, you write the music we'll have some people play it. We're done. But, you know, for them, you know, it it's a different perspective. and it, They take their time and he only gave him three pieces.
1: Yep. And then he had to work with those three pieces throughout. And because they have the original recordings of them, they would use versions of them where they would strip out certain elements of the original recordings to get a different feel mm-hmm. for those three different cues that they had to to work with and anyway, I, I
0: thought that was very interesting it worked out and it and the music it feels kinda like with uh, when we listen to the last dragon it's got its own vibe and mm. when you put it in it's the music is for that movie it stands out and it brings you into that world which is mm-hmm. unique yeah the the, the, the
1: themes mm-hmm. for for the different characters and again how they how they reiterate them and use them again it does it does feel like a like a play um maybe even like a musical i i, I could see this as a musical i could see somebody yeah. taking this and making this into a, a pretty awesome musical uh, yeah. it does it, it is that theatrical the costumes the music all of it and i think it could really work
0: again we come across a situation actors not wanting to rehearse Coppola being a theater director, you know, growing up in the theater, he came to realize later on that it may not be as important as he thought it was. Now he kind of looks at it as like you're going out to pick pick up mushrooms out. <laughs> you're picking mushrooms and what you get is what you get. You're just gathering that. You know, you're just gathering it, what you got, what you got, and that's what you're going to use to put this movie together. But he was like a stickler, you know, in particular on this film for wanting to rehearse. Some of the actors were not game to rehearse all the time. He talks uh, about Jack Nicholson. I don't remember what movie that was when he was kind of saying, well, we don't really have to do that. That's not really necessary, is it? And I can kind of I can see both sides of it. If I'm dealing with people that are not as experienced, I want as much rehearsal as possible. When it's an actor that's very experienced, you want to save their energy. You know, they might be jaded from the industry or whatever. They may not want to. Um, I think you just kind of got to play about who these people are. Specifically when these are new actors, I would want to rehearse as much as possible. And some, some actors flip flop. So some of them go and do stage plays and other one, you know, they go from movies to stage plays. And for example, the movie uh, *American Beauty*. Sorry, you know, I gotta mention Kevin Spacey. But uh, uh, <laughs> at the time, you know, he, you know, he was he was back and forth between doing stage plays and doing movies, mm-hmm. and they all enjoy the process of rehearsal. So you just gotta be able to cast that's into that.
1: That's true, and and you know, sometimes there could be give and take. Some things come with time and perspective, because you know, when you look at the end, when you look at the end result of what Bram Stoker Dracula became, it seems that the rehearsal was, was worthwhile. Now, could it have come out just as well with, without, maybe for some? Yeah, sure. Who, who, I mean, who knows? But when you when you hear about, like, uh, like, like Sir Anthony Hopkins, uh, when when Coppola is talking about Hopkins in the commentary, he was saying how, you know, it, it didn't seem like he really wanted to rehearse that much. But when you see that some of the documentaries and you hear Hopkins' comments, he kind of seemed like he was kind of, he thought it was interesting. Um, he didn't say that he didn't want to do it, but he said it was interesting. And one of the things that I, that I gathered from seeing some of the behind-the-scenes footage of the rehearsals and the, the different um, workshops and, and warm-ups that they would do, team-building exercise that they would do, is that he he made their parts very collaborative. They were able to add things to their characters into the script couple would go and have the script changed and bring it back and so they got a chance to really kind of expand and flush their characters out and and rehearse that so mm-hmm. um even the little bit of kind of madness that helsing von helsing brings to the to the role i mm-hmm. thought was was fascinating and, and, and made sense and him grabbing mina and, and dancing with her when he first <laughs> sees her uh, yeah uh i'm like oh okay but it know, yeah, it kind of it kind of works towards the this particular film and what, what Coppola mm-hmm. was going
0: for. But yeah, some things with time, season, trial, and error. He talks about how um, how he coordinated like a love scene um, with Mina and, and Dracula, you know, coming back together and Dracula's talking about, you know, he killed Lucy or whatever. You killed Lucy. You know, he's basically saying that he's, uh, he's dead. Um, but uh, Coppola talks about how coordinating a scene like that is bringing in like a stunt coordinator coordinate it like a knife fight because you got to get the cameras at certain angles and you know they could be actually blocking each other depending on how they're doing the scene so we had to have somebody actually coordinate it so it's like it's not it's not passionate at all you know when when you're actually creating this scene well he said, i think uh, uh, something he'd like to do
1: in the future with future love scenes is to bring in fight choreographers oh in the future chore- yeah in the i future. misheard yeah he'd like he said if he were to shoot another one he said i think it would make sense uh, to do exactly that because
0: okay yeah, because it's just. I'm about to cut that point out. I think.
1: I think I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he talked about in the future future uh, love scenes he'd like to to bring in a fight card. think
0: like, that I, would make sense it. to do that? Were these coordinated then? When they just did their thing,
1: <laughs> <laughs> they, they were directed. But yeah, there was not there was no, there was okay. no fight coordinator saying use your elbow. You know, nothing got nothing like that. Got uh, it. They were just I guess as awkward as he originally had 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 mentioned. But I'm like when he said that, I thought I got to thinking. I'm like, you know what? It sounds like it sounds logical it, it sounds logical to have a potentially fight coordinator giving certain tips because you have to practice that you know you'd have yeah, to practice I didn't to see figure that out. but uh,
0: I assumed that he I thought he did bring that in so I was like, oh okay, that seemed to work, but he didn't. it worked anyway Yeah. <laughs> did we already talk about trusting your actors to cast? Yeah Mm-mm. all right so he allowed Winona, you know who brought him the script basically she brought him the script. And then also she had like a who's who of who she would like to act with. Mm-hmm. So she was basically like in a way like the casting director. Yeah, and he trusted her to do that. And and I think that's a big deal, especially
1: considering the genesis of their relationship, which we had we hadn't mentioned yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that she was supposed to originally be in The Godfather Three. Yeah, she was supposed to play the daughter of Michael Corleone, but grown up. But last minute she got sick and or ill and pulled out of the project. Hence his his daughter Sophia Coppola going into the role but he didn't want to hold a grudge and he said he likes to work with young people and so when this opportunity came up and, and went on and presented it to him she did give him that list and that's where you get like the you know the Sir Anthony Hopkins of of the world and I don't know if, if she specifically mentioned Gary Oldman or that he was mm-hmm. on the on the list for the to be cast or if the studio was already looking at him she was good friends with Keanu Reeves hence yeah. his casting as well Carrie Elvis. Also, it's from *The Princess Bride* and *Robin Hood: Men in Tights*, uh, he's always—I always enjoy his performances. But, <laughs> but yeah, it—she—she it, um, she should get some credit. Either I don't know. I think as a producer or, or casting, but uh, I haven't seen any additional credits for her uh, in the in the film. Associate producer, or something.
0: Something. But, Give that lady something. A check would be fine. Thank you. <laughs> I'll just take the money. There was a part where he actually kind of got into it with one of the actors, uh, Coleman. It was a whole rat suit thing, right? The, the rat suit fight, because while this love scene is going on, like he jumps to this, he jumps to a rat suit, and maybe that's the thing that's like kind of like trip me out about the whole thing, because he's jumping from being a wolf to a rat to a vampire. It's like, why do you even have? Like, I don't get it. But um, he he mentioned like the more experienced an actors, maybe you have to seduce them more to like to perform. I don't know. I don't know why. Why that is? He said maybe it could be laziness, could be it could be a number of things. But it seems like you have to like kind of convince them more to do that. And because I think he Coleman, his thing was like, why do I have to get on the bed and and do this thing? You know, being as rats, and why do I have to do this? I don't know. They had multiple
1: like back and forths. So there, you know, Gary said that he's a very outspoken person, and at times, he says at times I want to win. <laughs> you know I, I realize you know you're working with the director and they're pushing for their vision and what they want to accomplish and they're telling you what they want. He said, but sometimes I want to win and I want to get, I want to get my way right sometimes and I'll, and I'll push back to, towards and for that They both have the same goal they want to make a great film and get great performances but um, but yeah and, and they they would they would go back and forth. You could clearly see that in the scene with the like the, the steps and it's like, well if, if I could just start here just give me the cue and was like no the words are the cue (laughs) right (laughs) they're just (laughs) going back and forth and it's 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 interesting to see but he likes that he likes kind of the the, push back a little bit and then when they were doing that rat suit scene there was a part came where Francis just stopped like and had all the actors line up (laughs) and just let he said just you know put we covered their eyes and, and he let just Gary Oldman go in between each of them and just say scary stuff just to put fear into them and he's like oh you shouldn't have done that he was like that's like giving you know that's like putting a kid in a candy store and he he enjoyed being able to do that so you know, Coppola fights for his vision I'll, I'll give him that he mm-hmm. fights for his vision every every step of the way and he's willing to to disagree and um but he doesn't seem like he's mean spirited about it I don't, right. I don't see him doing it out of like just hubris I don't know but yeah not not afraid to disagree because he mentioned several several of them that he had while making this production
0: uh he also gave a shout out to tom cruise you know <laughs> basically hmm. just kind of saying like out of all the people he's one that's like whatever you want to do he'll do it that says a lot about tom cruise and his reputation you know hmm. and you go back to all his films you see him doing a stunt you see him running Always. Uh, see, <laughs> always running, Tom. Type that in YouTube, see what you find. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, dealing with people like Stanley Kubrick, who are like super OCD people, you know, doing 70 takes, 60 takes, and just powering through that kind of stuff. It makes sense why Tom Cruise has the career that he has. hmm He's a workhorse. Through the, the ups and downs, and doing it as if this is your last movie. Yeah. You know, we talk about the movie Tomorrow Never Dies, I think that's the name of the movie, or... It has after mul- the... <laughs> multiple names. <laughs> tomorrow never dies. Maybe tomorrow uh, you know, will come. No, it's uh,
1: edge, of it? edge of tomorrow. Edge of we'll, tomorrow. Edge of tomorrow. Live, die, repeat. All yeah. you need is kills. Like the this this film literally has multiple names. Bad,
0: you, bad you watch that film and you just see Tom Cruise is giving it all to you. He'll risk his life for the audience.
1: And how appropriate in a movie where he has to relive the same days again? Yeah, again, how repeat, appropriate? Repeat the same thing, same actions again, again.
0: That's called irony. Mm-mm-mm. that's a, just a perfect example of what Tom Cruise is about that film right there Given it all He'll, if he died on you know in the film yes that's the, how he would want to go out it seems like
1: uh, you know what I, I wouldn't doubt that, that that's how he wants to that's go out that's probably his dream in, in, uh, in the film going for it just going for it
0: Coppola talks about how why approach a film if you don't have anything unique to say Do you want to talk about that a little bit further
1: definitely especially when it comes to relation in relation to all the Dracula films that are out there so many Dracula films and how Dracula is, is kind of tied into cinema like when the yeah. first like, I don't know one of the first films that would come out with Nosferatu um, that's tied into like the birth of silent films and cinema and so there's this correlation that's, that's there and so many films have been done and so yeah how, how will you say something new and so, to take this book that again ties into the lore, ties into the historic aspects, and fuse them together, but now you do it with a love story. There, he really felt he had something new and unique to say. And when in watching this film all these years later, I'm like, yeah, this is so different from other other Dracula films that I've that I've seen. I, actually, mm-hmm. when he dies at the end, I, I feel for him. Like, oh, you know, kind of happy he has this release, but he has that moment of of. Of not being a total monster, just enough you to feel something for him, um, and just in terms of one thing I wanted to mention that this that watching the film Reginald it reminded me of uh, when I when I watched the show Penny Dreadful, mm-hmm. you know it's set in the Victorian times, a period piece. But watching that show and the ensemble cast that's gathered, very much so. It, it, reminded me of the ensemble that was gathered when they're going to go and hunt Dracula. Like, because there's one American guy in Penny Dreadful who's kind of the Western guy and and there's a doctor amongst them and, yeah, and, yeah, I don't know why, but this show, this show, I don't know, something about it gave me a a Penny Dreadful feel to it. Like, maybe there's some influence from this group of people who are going after these different um, monsters and maybe some of them themselves may may be monsters, but, but, yeah, I got that I got that vibe from,
0: from watching it. Well, Francis Coppola, he talks about, he expresses how he wasn't happy making this film. Mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over. And he's basically saying that he freed himself from the world of cin- cinema, and he only does it as a hobby now. He did something he swore that he would never do, which was make, uh, you know, Godfather 3. But he did it after becoming bankrupt from the adventure of a movie called One from the Heart in 1981.
1: That I've never seen it.
0: Never and, heard of. And I guess, it's, you know, going bankrupt, maybe. You know, he put his money into it and just, hey, he didn't do what it was supposed to do, so he was done. And so you kind of get trapped where you have to do these movies, you know, for your salary. Mm-hmm. You make your salary and then, you know, hopefully you can put it to a side. But he talks about how he was able to invest, you know, investing in the wine, food, and resort business. Yes, and he did. Finally became financially solvent, so now... Now he's like kind of stressless. less.
1: Yeah. He seemed like he got kind of got a a happy ending for himself. Yeah. And can truly do things on
0: his terms. Because you, you hear about people that are trapped in certain industries where they have to do the next project. And you see you see a lot of times with some of these actors where they overexpose themselves because they have to make the money, you know, mm. so they they're doing more projects than they should be doing and kind of really uh, saturating the market with their face and so they devalue how much they get per project so it's like a weird cycle
1: yeah it, it is like you want you get to this point where you want to make it you make it you upgrade your lifestyle to maintain that lifestyle especially if you're you with know, the cost of living in California well you got to continue to make it and be relevant and be, and, but still have the audiences want to see you still have the studios and directors and producers want to work with you so it's, a, it's just very interesting fine line. You know, if you have one to two films coming out a year, okay, you know, maybe that's mm-hmm. a good pace. Or maybe it's one to two every other year, um, I guess, depending on the level of, of success. Or, or if you're doing a show, I, I find it fascinating now that there used to seem to be this chasm between television and movies. That chasm seems to be rapidly disappearing. Truth. Before, if you were a if if you were a TV actor, yeah, you were a TV actor. And if you were a movie actor, you were a movie actor.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now that's that's not the, that's not really the case at all. Like it's not really a big deal. I I, I think that we really I've noticed the transition from the H, from HBO shows to the AMC shows and some of the Showtime shows. Mm-hmm. People who have who have made that transition, actors who have gone and done shows from who are mainly in the movies, like like a Don Cheadle doing a you know. A, House of Lies. Uh, um, you know, you got you know, your Christian Bells also does House of Lies. Started off, you know, in television, but done her share of, of, of movies also. No big deal. You know, the Mila Kunis's of the world. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the Brian Cranston's from Breaking Bad's to, you know, multiple films that he's been involved True. in. Uh, John Hamm. John Hamm is everywhere. <laughs> John Hamm, that dude is, is just working from Mad Men to. How was Edgar Wright's film with the
0: that's Baby good. Driver? Oh, Baby Driver! Baby yeah, yeah.
1: Driver, uh, just all kinds of all kinds of roles. John Han is everywhere doing he's doing voiceover for commercials. For I think Lexus. that's the
0: best thing right there. Learning how to learn different skill sets so you can just you can flip around, you know, do the voiceover. Uh, learn to produce films. Learn to develop. You know, project that you may not necessarily be the one shooting or acting in front of, but you're developing them as a producer and it can do its thing. you hire other people, et cetera. And, you know, you have an end product, but you don't have to be like involved with it every single day. Yeah. I and mean, I noticed uh, Capola. if you look on his IMDb, he has mm-hmm. a lot of projects that he just produces that he may not necessarily direct or write, but he produces them. It makes sense, man diversify yourself yes because and directing is one of those things too that it takes a lot of energy a lot of time a lot of devotion that um, sometimes you just want to stay asleep that day or you just don't want to think about a movie the whole year and be involved with it every single part of the process it just takes a lot of energy from you And uh, I know Tarantino talks about that there's a lifespan for directors, but, you know, we've seen people like Ridley Scott or was it Michael Schultz from Last Dragon Mm -hmm. where they figured out how to keep this thing going. But I think Schultz's thing is, you know, he does a lot of TV now. He directs a lot of TV. And then Ridley Scott, he actually produces a lot of stuff. So it's also uh, a venture for him. Yeah. So you just got to find your way to make to make sure you're happy in life, I guess.
1: Nothing wrong with getting paid along the way.
0: Ain't nothing wrong with that. At all. Well, that concludes our show today. Next week, we're going to be watching
1: Mother, right? By Darren Aronofsky.
0: All right. Thank y'all for tuning in. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes, Filmmaker Commentary. Um, Leave us a note on Facebook.com forward slash Filmmaker Commentary. Also, we're on Stitcher, SoundCloud. So if you also have... Uh, a film you would like us to look at make sure it has commentary and put your suggestions either on facebook or soundcloud and we'll be following up with you until next time peace peace